Welcome to Fetch Talks, the podcast series of the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. Find out more about us on fetch-europe.eu. Hello, my name is Lars Lunder, I'm the Secretary General of FEPS, and I have the pleasure today to welcome Mr. Yossi Berlin, who is a distinguished political scientist and politician in Israel, who will talk to us about the tragic developments in Israel on October 7, but also the experience of the previous decade regarding negotiating peace. Dr. Bailin, welcome to FAB's Talks, and I would like to ask you uh, briefly to introduce yourself for our listeners. My name is Yossi Bailin. I'm a former Israeli minister. Among uh, other ministries, I was the Minister of Justice, the Minister of Economy. I initiated the Oslo uh, process in uh, 93. Uh, Dr. Bailin, it is a great pleasure for us um, that you are with us and you can share your thoughts about the current situation uh, in Israel. But since you have this distinguished experience um, in Israeli politics and government, and also explicitly peace negotiation. I would uh, like to start with the question of comparing the current crisis with previous one. How does the current tragic stage compare, in your view, with previous crises in Israel? I'm trying to, to think about a proper answer for your question, and I don't have one, because I cannot compare it to anything that I remember. Maybe you need a bigger perspective in order to see things, and then you can say this resembles uh, something, but it, it resembles only 9-11. I, I think that the feeling of the Americans that uh, they were safe, they were an island, that nobody tried to uh, fought on their own uh, territory, and suddenly everything is uh, endangered and and so many people are killed in the twin towers and the pentagon is is uh, part of it is is ruined and almost the the white house was uh, had the, the pilot uh, not um, be mistaken and and went to to uh, pittsburgh and then there is a feeling of vulnerability which is which is very deep nobody expected it I mean, eventually, of course, the, the heads of the intelligence and the army will have to resign, but mainly because it was on their guard. I don't think that others would have easily pointed such a scenario because there were some axioms about the, the enemy and the, the, the ability to do something like that with all the new technology which was invested in the fence and in other things between us and Gaza, all this didn't work. The enemies of everybody, I mean, even those countries in the Arab world which are now criticizing Israel and whatever, since I, I know most of their leaders, I know what they told me about, uh, about Hamas. In the past, they were the ones who threatened me personally, mm-hmm. saying, be very careful about Hamas. You are too nice to them. You must be tougher because they are ISIS. And you know, people are, especially peace, the peace camps are trying to find a common denominator, uh, human beings and human beings. Let us work together. What do you really want? Can we compromise? You know, all these things which identify us and, and rightly so. And here you find people who don't want to talk to you. In, in the past, uh, after the Geneva initiative was, was signed, 
the, there was a kind of a funeral on Fridays. Every Friday for three months, they would march from the mosque to the big square in Gaza with the coffins of uh, Yasser Abedrabo, my partner on the Palestinian side, and myself. Because the peace, the peaceniks are their biggest enemies. They don't want anything. They don't want a two-state solution, for God forbid, for them. All the things that we and, and the moderate Palestinians uh, would like to have uh, is, is uh, for them the, the worst uh, solution. So this is why it is so difficult to, to find a precedent because usually people want from you something when there is animosity. They want to get some part of the land, recognition, whatever. They don't need any recognition. They don't want any land. I believe um, it's very difficult to speak at this moment about peace. But uh, since uh, you were very active in the period of the Oslo process, I would like to ask you to look back a little bit to this period. Maybe this was the last time when there was a lot of hope and people believed that uh, there would be some kind of uh, compromise, some kind of lasting uh, uh, sustainable solution. Can we take um, some lessons or inspiration from this period of the Oslo process? One of the most important uh, uh, lessons is that one should not be enchanted by the majorities who want peace and will support peace, but take care about the minorities which will endanger their own lives in order to thwart the efforts of the peacemakers. I think that we did not understand it. Mm -hmm. As simple as, as it is, I mean, one would say it is so obvious that people who are zealots and ready to endanger their lives will do whatever they can, even things that you don't think about, like what the Baruch Goldstein did in 94 uh, in the cave of the patriarchs uh, and killed 29 Palestinian worshippers. An Israeli doctor, I mean, why? He believed that we we were the traitors and that he, he kept and guarded mm -hmm. the land. And then after 40, the 40 uh, days of the Muslim mourning period, the beginning of the terrorist attacks and the suicide bombers in Afula, in Hedera, and dozens of people were killed. So if you ask me, it is not that the 90s were happy years. In February 94, the massacre in Hebron was a kind of a dark swan which surprised us. We didn't expect it. We expected something else, demonstrations, closing roads, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. And that was the beginning of the big animosities which which uh, mm. are accompanying us. But to, to speak about peace, usually you speak about peace after war. Most mm. of the peace treaties that we know from history were signed after wars, not after hundreds of years of peace and love. And you know, the, the world in many ways gave up on us until recently and said, okay, your leadership with Netanyahu gave give me a break. On the Palestinian side, you have an old guy who became a dictator and he has a very, very weak machinery and doesn't have a real, real uh, following. Come come as, to us later. Now 
since there is no war and there is no fire all the time and you manage the conflict, we have other conflicts to deal with. Of course, it was Ukraine that mm-hmm. nobody dismisses. But uh, so people were not ready to listen to us. When I when we came, Palestinians and Israelis, to Europe a few months ago, suggesting the idea of an Israeli-Palestinian confederation, we were not held. And, you know, I can compare it to the Geneva efforts in, in 2003, where the whole world was ready to listen to us, although it was an informal uh, a draft. Now, uh, when we came with the confederation, people did not listen to us because they gave up on the on, on, on peace in the Middle East, at least for a while, including President Biden. And now you see that the whole world is here in the Middle East. Every prime minister, every foreign minister, is, they are coming and talking to the Palestinians and talking to us and asking us, what can we do? And you are interviewing me. And, and it means something. It means something that the world understands that we are sitting on a, in, in a very, we are living in a very dangerous place which may explode tomorrow while we know the solutions for all the issues. In the last 30 years, We worked formally and informally in finding solutions for all the things which had been seen unbridgeable. Jerusalem, refugees, the border, and you name it. And we found solutions, which means that people of peace on both sides can easily and quickly, I believe that you don't need more than one year Mm. to finish the work. For example, on Geneva, we have... 500 pages of annexes on water, on the uh, compensation for the refugees, everything, environment, you name it. I mean, I'm I'm not saying that the decision makers of the the future will take it as is, but the, the material is there. You don't have to invent the wheel. By now, we know the solutions. Um, You mentioned uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. And um, I would like to ask you uh, how much depends on the leaders? Because in the 90s, you also worked with Rabin, you worked with Shimon Peres. And um, uh, what is the importance of having uh, an inspirational leader on the top for this? Although you can never dismiss the others, there is nothing more important than the leaders. You know, after after the Camp David um, failed effort to make peace in 2000, I met with President uh, Clinton. He told me the way he saw the Camp David uh, uh, summit, because I was not there. Mm -hmm. And uh, he told me that at a certain moment, there was an offer suggested to Yasser Arafat. And uh, after reading it, he came to to the president, to President Clinton, and told him, Mr. President, if I accept your offer, you will come to my funeral. And um, I, I asked Clinton, okay, what, what did you say to him? And he smiled and he said, what could I say? And then after a moment, he said, Yossi, what would you say to him? And I say, with all due respect, I would say, so what? I mean, if you don't have courageous leaders who are ready to physically risk their lives, in order to make peace, you will not make peace. 
the precedence of King Abdallah the first of Jordan, of President Sadat, of so many people in our part of, of the world who sacrificed their lives because they wanted to make peace. If you are not ready for that, forget it. Mm. All the plans in the world will not help. I must admit it is very primitive. I mean, just to, for people to risk their lives. But if they don't understand that peace for their own nations is much more important than the rest of their lives, then nothing will happen. Well, apart from the readiness of leaders and uh, people who would negotiate, what else would be the preconditions for a new peace process? No preconditions. You don't need to prepare for years for the moment in which the two sides who know each other by heart, even Netanyahu and, and Abu Mazen, they, they know each other. It is not something new, you know, as it was in Oslo that for the first time we met with uh, PLO officials or something like that. And, and we came to the conclusion that nobody had horns on his head. Uh, this is not the situation. We, we are the veterans of the talks. We know exactly what kind of people we are going to meet on the other side. So we don't have to prepare ourselves. What, what we need is to, to uh, be courageous enough and sit together and, and find a solution. The moment we put preconditions, it is the end of the story. You refer to uh, the role of the United States, but also the Europeans. What could or should the United States and the European Union do better or differently in order to facilitate a new peace process? First of all, it is very, very important that it will be high on their agendas. This is the, the, the first thing. I mean, just to come as they come now and didn't do that in the, in the recent past. To come, to go to the Palestinians, to go to the Israelis, to understand what are the, the obstacles, to suggest meetings, to suggest a kind of a Madrid conference. Or, or other conferences which took place and were important. Madrid conference, for example, was very, very important because it launched the whole process of the bilateral talks for the first time and the multilateral talks on the economy, on environment, on water, and other things. And the Oslo Agreement was part of the Madrid process. The mandate we got from Secretary uh, Baker in 1991. I was then in opposition, but the, the, the mandate that the, the Palestinians and the Israelis got from Baker was to suggest a five-year autonomy for the Palestinians. So much so that when I came to, to my prime minister, to our rabbin, and I told him, it's Haq, we have a partner. Let us not waste our time on an interim agreement which will be abused by the lunatics on both sides and go directly to, to a permanent agreement. He said, I have to stick to the mandate of Baker. You understand? So, so mm -hmm. the, the Madrid conference was a milestone and it is not by chance that many efforts began in Europe. From the, the Norway itself and Oslo, the Oslo talks, 
to the uh, Swedish uh, government, which hosted us in, in the negotiations between myself and uh, President Abbas between 93 and 95, and the Geneva Initiative, which was signed in Geneva. Now, don't forget that, that the Americans were not involved neither in Oslo nor in our peace with uh, Jordan. It's not that they were not daily involved. They didn't know about it. They contributed a lot after the, the signing ceremony mm-hmm. in convening other countries, the, the donor state, the, the, the donor states, in offering financial support and other. But they were not. They did not initiate the processes. So mm-hmm. if you ask me what should be done, a lot can be done, a lot. And not all of these things are written in the books. I mean, the Oslo process was not written in any book. And believe me, I taught many years in university in, in foreign, foreign affairs and political science. I didn't find anything like that. And a readiness to be involved in, in non-conservative processes, secretly or, or openly, You know, inviting us, Palestinians and Israelis, together to to seminars, just to talk, to talk between them, to talk to the public, to meet with the decision makers. We used to do that. This, This is something that we used to do in the 90s a lot, and which almost stopped, not totally, but almost stopped. Now, this is not just nice to have. In these seminars, you develop not only the, the relations, which are very important between the parties, but you share with the hosts the problems that you are having, the obstacles, and you mm-hmm. may get answers to them. I mean, the knowledge in Europe of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is huge, is yeah. huge, and it is not used enough. So I would say, pay attention to us, take us into into account, understand that if nothing happens, the worst may happen as it happened a month ago. And let us work together once we have an, an agreement about your role, Europeans or Americans. I mean, in many ways, Europe gave up to the Americans. I, I heard it directly for the most important people in Europe, in the EU, who told me, you see, the Americans want to deal with it and, and we, we will not move without their consent and it is up to them. And what happened is paralysis. Mm-hmm. The, conflict, the, the conflict in the Middle East did not, was not on the agenda at all. And in America, they said, I mean, what are we going to do with this baby? I mean, anybody believes that he will make peace? No. Abu Mazen became an old dictator and sticks to the status quo. And with him also, we are not going to see a a breakthrough in peace. So let us wait. We don't have the time to wait. Dr. Benin, I would like to thank you for uh, these thoughts. I hope your voice will be heard uh, because um, I think it's a shared interest to to look for the opportunities to relaunch uh, a peace process and the experience you shared us about the 1990s, but also subsequent efforts should be very useful for anybody involved in this uh, today or tomorrow. Thank you very much. much.
And I hope we have uh, future opportunities as well to exchange views about this difficult situation. There will. Thank you, Thank you very much. Thank you.